How's everybody doing tonight? <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh. Matt said he uh, apologized for being here, but he'd much rather be with Kirk Cameron right now, getting his uh, VHS Left Behind tapes signed. <laughs> yeah, so you guys got to give him a hard time, uh, and uh, I'm pretty sure he's going to have a display case right over here with his Left Behind VHSs, signed by Kirk Cameron. Um, so he said we could do our message on anything we wanted tonight. Uh, it just had to be about tithing. So, and uh, following Mike Driscoll's lead this morning, we're going to have an 80-minute message on tithing. So, hope you guys are ready for that. Um, so we're just a few weeks out for one of the most major holidays in American um, lifestyle day. It's uh, not Thanksgiving. It's after that. It's not Christmas. It's uh, Black Friday. Um, you gonna get, take uh, take advantage of those Black Friday deals? Oh, absolutely! I will be in line at 6 p.m. the night before, like I was last year. <laughs> I'll avoid it like the plague. <laughs> you got to get those five-dollar Blu-rays. Yeah, it's good old uh, old-fashioned American fun. Waiting in line all night, punching a grandma in the face over a toaster. <laughs> but uh, when we when we read the the passage, it it reminded us actually a lot of what uh, Black Friday would be. So. Yeah, we're actually in uh, Mark 3, verses 7 through, what, 19 tonight? Yeah. Uh, we're going to look at the first, let's see, verses 7 through 12. In your blue Bibles, it's page 600. And guys, if you, if you don't have a Bible that you own, or if your Bible just doesn't make much sense to you anymore, um, we ask you guys to take this Bible home. It's our gift to you. We have plenty of them. And we want you to be able to have a Bible that you can read and understand and grow closer to God. So Mark 3, 7. Jesus went out to the lake with his disciples, and a large crowd followed him. They came from all over Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, Edomaea, and from the east of the Jordan River, and even as far north as Tyre and Sidon. The news about his miracles had spread far and wide, and vast numbers of people came to see him. Jesus instructed his disciples to have a boat ready so the crowd would not crush him. He had healed many people that day, so all the sick people eagerly pushed forward to touch him. And whenever those possessed by evil spirits caught sight of him, the spirits would throw them to the ground in front of him, shrieking, You are the Son of God. But Jesus sternly commanded the spirits not to reveal who he was. All right, we're going to stop right there. And uh, like we said, the crowd here definitely reminded us of Black Friday. Um, you just have tons of people crowding around Jesus, all trying to just touch him um, so that they could be healed. Um, this was a crowd that definitely knew that they had a problem. They knew they had things that need fixed in their lives. Um, and they even had faith in Jesus and knew that he could fix those things. Um, yeah. Yeah, but it seems that that faith was kind of a surface-level faith. They didn't, they didn't care about their uh, salvation, their spiritual needs. They just cared about the here and now, what they needed from Jesus now. And they, they cared so much about it that they would even cru- crush Jesus. They would put Jesus in um, physical danger to get their own physical needs met. Yeah, when it came down to it, they were just consumers. They, were, um, you know, they, they did recognize that they had needs, but... You know, they didn't care about anybody else's needs around them. They didn't care about Jesus' safety. You know, they were this mob that were willing to crush him just so that they could no longer be sick or um, whatever ailment they had. Um, They knew that Jesus could heal them. It just, um, 
they, it was all about what they wanted in that moment. Um, they didn't think about anything beyond uh, right here and now. And it's interesting that the, the demons themselves even knew who Jesus was, and this crowd didn't. The demons would shriek and uh, fall down, saying that he's the Son of God, and Jesus told them, that, not now, not, don't, t- don't tell them now, this is not his time. But, you know, they knew who Jesus was, and they were absolutely terrified. And this crowd did not have a grasp of who Jesus really was. And they had no, no regard for anybody else's personal safety, just their own desires, their own needs. Yeah, I, I found it really interesting reading through this passage that uh, the demons actually recognize who Jesus was and, and what he could do. And the people recognized what he could do, but not really who he was. It was the, the demons were actually had fear of God, while the people... We're just there to get their own needs fulfilled. And I think, think a lot like this crowd, we have a lot of people today out there that, that live like this crowd. They want to get stuff from Jesus. They want to get stuff from Christianity. But they don't really want a relationship. They don't really want to give anything back. And um, I, think, I think a lot of people here, uh, I think a lot of us here can identify with that crowd. Um, you come to church for social reasons. You, you have friends here. Uh, you want to make friends here. The people are nice. They treat you well. Um, you also have uh, just the appearance of going to church. You know, their coworkers like, well, they go to church every Sunday. That means they're a good person. Uh, that's that's that, that appearance kind of thing, that, um, that self-assurance and self-righteousness even, that, hey, look at me. I, I go to church every week. Not to mention, uh, a lot of people go to church just for the fire insurance. They just go because they don't want to go to hell. I admit that when I first became a Christian, that was my major motivation for accepting Jesus. I just didn't want to go to hell. That and I also uh, actually prayed to God that I wanted monkey bars in heaven. (laughs) You actually wanted monkey bars in heaven. Yeah, I was terrified of them as a kid, but I saw all the other kids having a lot of fun. I knew in heaven you could do whatever you wanted, so I figured I could hang upside down and not hurt myself. But there, I, I just wanted something from God. I didn't want to be with, uh, with God. Yeah, um, the truth is a lot of people don't really want to go to heaven. Um, they think it looks boring. Um, I would say those people have a, a not biblical view of what heaven is. Um, but their idea of heaven they think is boring. They just don't want to go to hell. Um. I think we have a... A uh, quote from John Piper, right? No, I actually forgot to put it in my notes. Oh, come on. It'll be up there. Yeah. Is it going to be the first quote? Yeah. Could you pull that up, John? Yeah. It says, the critical question for our generation, and every generation, is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness, and with all the friends you ever had on earth, and all the food you ever liked, and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed, and all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted, and no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ were not there? And that is a very convicting quote to me, because a lot of the time I would, I would love that. I would love just to have everything bad taken away, everything good given to me, and then not rely on Jesus as my Savior, and not want to have a relationship with him. Yeah, that's exactly what most people's view of heaven is, is, is just this place that is... Uh, perfect, and, and there's no longer any hurt, and there's no longer any pain, and, you know, you get to be with grandma, and you get to, 
you get to hang out with all kinds of cool people. Hey, I'm going to see Gandhi, like all kinds of stuff like that. We're going to, most of our definitions of heaven don't include Jesus. But now I think, I think we need to go on to um, a group of people who really did want to be with Jesus, as, as messed up as what they were. All right, uh, guys, we're going to look at verses 13 through 19 now, looking at the apostles that Jesus chose. All right, afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain and called out the ones he wanted to go with him, and they came to him. Then he appointed 12 of them and called them his apostles. They were, they were to accompany him, and he would send them out to preach, giving them authority to cast out demons. These were the twelve he chose, Simon, whom he called Peter, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, but Jesus nicknamed them sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. So these were the super Christians, right? Yeah, these were the, these were the guys that uh, Jesus picked out because they were already better than everybody. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, we just wanted to kind of break down a couple of the, the apostles. I know a lot of us aren't very familiar with the, the disciples. I know I wasn't as familiar as I should be uh, going into this study, actually. Um, so let's start with Thomas. Uh, Thomas is a guy who was, I mean, he was known for his doubting, right? Everybody has heard the expression doubting Thomas. Um, whether or not they know the story in the Bible or not, it's, it's um, you know, you get that expression just thrown around. So this is a guy who followed Jesus around for three years, a guy that saw him do miracles, a guy that even saw Jesus raise people from the dead. And whenever it came time after Jesus actually was resurrected, he wouldn't believe it until he actually saw Jesus himself. A couple of guys came to tell him, hey, you know, Jesus is back from the dead. And he's like, no, I have to see the holes in his hands and his feet before I'm going to believe. So this is a guy that actually saw Jesus resurrect other people, but then didn't believe whenever he was resurrected himself. But then later he went on and he went to uh, Babylon, and he started the church there. Babylon was known for being, you know, a bunch of heathens. They were very anti-God, and they, um, and he was able to establish the church there. And then he went on to to India, and even as far as China. And uh, church history tells us that he made a lot of disciples that way. So he was probably the the furthest traveled disciple. Yeah. Um, and then he was martyred in India for preaching the gospel. Um, they actually impaled him on a lance. Yeah. So that's what you get for <laughs> preaching the gospel. Yeah. And uh, I know a lot, of, a lot of people, I know this is probably the biggest struggle for most Christians is doubt. I know I have it sometimes. I know Eric said he had it. I know my wife struggles with it a lot. I, I asked, um, a lot of times I just have to, I have to sit down and talk to her and tell her, you know, it's not what you do for Christ, it's what Christ has done for you. Yeah, I would say that's, that's number one biggest problem among Christians is um, doubting. Uh, the fact that it's like, man, I just, I can't see. I haven't seen Jesus. I haven't seen what he's done. How am I supposed to actually 
believe all these things that I read in the Bible? How can I believe anything that, that Matt says whenever he's up here, or let alone us two? Um, let's go on to James and John. These were, uh, these were brothers. They were nicknamed the Sons of Thunder. And Jesus may have uh, nicknamed this because they were uh, very slow to anger, but explosive whenever they uh, got mad. By the way, I think that's the coolest nickname ever. I wish I was nicknamed by Jesus, Sons of Thunder. That's, that's a lot better than Rock. That it just reminds me of like me and my, <laughs> me and my little brother. Um, well, my little brother, who's you know seven foot tall. I think him and I would be like the Sons of Thunder if we were in the disciples. But I think I can uh, identify a lot with James and John. It's, it's sad to say um, they were known. They wanted authority. They, they wanted to feel important. They wanted to have this authority from God. On two separate occasions in the Gospels, one time they were going through a Samaritan town and the, Samarit- the Samaritans rejected Jesus because they saw he was on his way to Jerusalem. And as they were walking out, James and John was like, hey, hey, Jesus, why don't we just burn the place down? Let's call fire down from the heavens. And Jesus smartly rebuked them. Um, also, this is, this is my favorite. It's... it's pretty hilarious. In Matthew 20, they had their mom come ask Jesus if they could have the places of authority in heaven. They couldn't even do it themselves. They had to go, hey, mommy, can you, uh, can you go ask if we can sit right next to Jesus in heaven? They, they, they weren't even brave enough to, to face Jesus, but they still wanted that authority, and they wanted to feel important. And I will admit, whenever I was told I was going to be coming up here preaching, I had I had to struggle because I wanted to be, you know, super preacher. I wanted to, I wanted to do everything, and I didn't really want it for God's glory. I wanted it for my own glory, and I think that's that's what um, what James and John kind of wanted to do. They wanted to show Jesus how good they were and how important they were. And both times, Jesus firmly put them in their place. Yeah, and then you then you had uh, Simon Peter. Simon Peter was a fisherman. This was a guy who was just, you know, at work one day. He's fishing. Jesus walks by and says, hey, follow me. And he just drops his net and goes. Um, if you look into chapter 1 of Mark, uh, it actually talks about Peter's, um, his mother-in-law. So that means he had a wife. I'm, I'm sure that night that conversation went over real well. Hey, there was this guy, uh, Jesus, he walked by while I was at work, and then um, I'm going to follow him now. So... You can stay here, or you can come with us. Either way. Yeah, I'm, being a married guy, I know that will go over real well. <laughs> All right, so, you know, but Peter is this guy. He's, he's brash, and he's, he's ready to get out there and, and just do things. He is the first guy um, to raise his hand whenever, um, you know, somebody says, anybody want to do anything stupid? And uh, Peter's the first one to do that. Uh, so... So Peter was the guy who's, who's, um, who's really gung-ho, really passionate, but doesn't really think things through. Uh, he gets way ahead of himself. He just jumps into things. Uh, I can definitely see myself being a lot like Peter. Uh, example, I'm up here right now. So uh, he, he just jumps in and gets way over his head, and um, that's... That's just the story of Peter throughout all of the Gospels. But he's also fairly cowardly near the end of Jesus' life. Yeah, he's the guy that, um, that denies Jesus three times in one night. So um, this is a guy who is all gung-ho and ready to serve Jesus, but as soon as it comes down to crunch time, he 
is the first one to fold. But uh, later on in the in the book of Acts and so forth, um, it's it's clear that Peter is one of the most important apostles that's come through, and it's all because of the resurrection of Jesus, the power that he got from there. He uh, he was the apostle to the Jews. He he. Next to Paul and Jesus, he was probably the most important person in the New Testament. So, I mean, even though he would jump in and become super flaky about it, he eventually, he, Jesus' Jesus's death and the Holy Spirit working through him, he was over to, able to overcome those shortcomings. Yeah, he even grew so much to actually be in prison for preaching the gospel. And then uh, church tradition tells us that he was crucified upside down. So he went from denying that he ever even knew Jesus to actually following him to the point of death. So now we come to Matthew. This will be this will be our last one we talk about tonight. But he was a tax collector. And I know a lot of people don't like the people in the IRS today. I know I, growing up I watched a lot, of, um, a lot of game shows. And now that I'm older, I just listen to them on the radio. But... Uh, any any time, yeah. Any time that anyone is on any game show or anything like that, and in front of a crowd, they're introduced as an IRS agent. They get booed because they're they're representing you having to pay your money to the government. They're representing, you know, boo this guy, stick it to the man. He he files folders at the IRS. But being but being a uh, tax collector in first century Israel was much much different. You were much more hated. Um, what the Romans did is when they would take over territories, they would have to use massive amounts of military strength to take over. Israel was one of the areas that was taken over. And in order to fund these massive amounts of armies, they had to collect a lot of taxes. So they would get, go in and get people to collect the taxes for them. So Matthew was a Jew who took, took taxes from the Jewish people to give it to the Roman Empire to support the Roman Empire keeping the Israelites from being free. So it's no wonder that, um, that Matthew's only friends were other tax collectors and other, other rejects from society. Yeah, it's like um, a, he would be like an IRS agent now, but he would be collecting taxes and then giving it to another country. Yeah, he'd be a tax collector for the Al-Qaeda or something like that. <laughs> um, but why, why would he choose the take such a job. Well, the, the Bible doesn't really actually say why he chose the job. It just says that he's a tax collector. But I think that he probably chose it out of desperation. He probably was somebody just crippled with debt, or he may have just had an extreme love for money, or possibly he had some sort of vice, maybe gambling, women, alcohol, or something that he just had to support. And I think the only reason that any Jew any self-respecting Jew in that time would take such a job where you'd lose your family and your friends and be an outcast of society, not to mention being seen as an absolute traitor, would be desperation. And I think we see a lot of, a lot of current Matthews that today. Um, one example would be maybe a workaholic father. And there could be workaholic mothers too, but you hear about fathers a lot more often, who spend 80, 90, 100 hours a week at their job to support their family. And that seems like a very, very noble goal at first. You know, you're sacrificing yourself for your family. But what's the real cost if you don't have a relationship with your family, if you don't, don't get to see your children growing up, you don't get to see anything like that? You're, you're, just, you're, you're so desperate to make your wife and your children happy 
that you don't you don't do anything but work. Yeah, I think uh, we also see this a lot with uh, anybody with any kind of addiction, and it doesn't even have to be a substance. It could just be an addiction to. Um, I know my addiction is movies. I can't help but walk by the five dollar bin at Walmart and pick out like 20 of them every time I'm there. Um, but it could be any kind of addiction where you're putting all of your resources and all of your time to. And, and I think that's how Matthew probably was. He got himself in a, in a tough situation and the only way out was to basically betray his people. Yeah, but you know, do you know what Jesus said to Matthew? He didn't go up to him, hey, clean yourself up, you know, do all, do kinds of good all kinds of good things and start following me. He uh, he told Matthew, follow me, and uh, become my disciple. And he he has that same call to anyone who's struggling, who's in such a desperate situation that they do things that they're shameful, they do things that they don't want to do in order to support this. Yeah, these guys were definitely messed up. All of the disciples don't don't view them as something that they're not. They were definitely. Um, not the perfect Christians that everybody like thinks they were. They were, um, they had their problems. They were just regular dudes. Uh, and in Acts, it talks about um, all of these guys that that people saw them that they were ordinary people, but that had been with Jesus. That was the key. They had been with Jesus, and that was the difference. Um, one thing that I thought was really interesting while I was studying this and I hadn't ever realized before was these guys didn't really turn into how we view them, these um, mega Christians that like we aspire to be until after the resurrection. So in the same way that Jesus changes us through his resurrection and, and having victory over death and over sin and giving that victory to us, the same thing happened for them. They were just screw-ups like the rest of us until that happened. Right. So we see two groups. There's, there's multiple different groups of people that we see in the Bible. But it's important, it's important to remember that the difference between these two groups, when it all comes down to it, was their faith in Jesus. They, the, the people who rushed him and mobbed him and tried to crush him to get healing had faith in his healing ability alone. And these, these apostles had faith in Jesus. They, they saw something in him, and he, um, but it, like Eric said, it wasn't until Jesus went on the cross and bore our punishment and the apostles' punishment for their sins and then transferred his perfect life to us that these guys ever saw any real change. And... Throughout, even throughout the rest of the Bible, they still screw up. They still mess up. Um, even Paul publicly rebukes Peter at one point. But they still, they, they recognize Jesus, that Jesus came and he, he paid our penalty and he wants us to have his righteousness now. Uh, we're going we're gonna to wrap up here in a couple minutes. Uh, one last thing we wanted to talk about um, was I, I came across an article a couple days ago on uh, CNN.com, and it was entitled, Which Jesus Do You Follow? And they talked about how you had blue state Jesus and you had red state Jesus in the midst of all this election junk. And it was just heartbreaking to me that that is what 
even the media has pain in Jesus as as some kind of, as some kind of guy you can choose how to view him. You yeah. can choose whether or not you want him to be the champion for the poor or choose someone who, you know, who was this I don't I didn't even really get too far in the article because it didn't it was uh kind of disgusting, but um there there was one Jesus and these apostles saw who who the Jesus was. And he was a lot more than what we think of him. Um, guys, what we want you guys to walk away with is that there really is, there's this one Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, that has offered us a way to um, actually deal with how messed up we are. We are just like the people in the crowd, being consumers and, and wanting, wanting things and, and, and will do anything to get them. We're also just like the apostles and being screwed up and, and, and being selfish. But we can also be like the apostles after Jesus' resurrection, where he actually imputes his righteousness on us. He actually um, changes us. So that when we, we are in front of the Father at the judgment day, he'll say, come on in, because when he sees us, as Christians, he'll see Jesus' perfect life. He won't see all the times we messed up, all the times we screwed up, all the times we just wanted stuff from him, or all the times we had doubt, or all the times we got in sticky situations and did shameful things. He sees what Jesus did, and we're judged solely on the life of Jesus. Uh, would you guys pray with me, please? Jesus, uh, we are just so humbled by uh, how you've been moving through revolution and through this congregation, God. I pray that uh, you would uh, remind us of what the gospel is. You would remind us of um, our response to what Christ did, that we uh, would be made right before God, um, that we would actually um, be renewed by what Christ did on the cross. Lord, I, I just pray for the rest of the week that we would be shining lights for you in this community and that we would take the light to the darkness in Portsmouth. In Jesus' name, amen.